0: So that if you look at me and I look at you, you still see there are certain distinctions that we have amongst one another. Uh, but in Christ Jesus, our mark of identity that is transcendent is our faith in Jesus, the spirit who lives in us and who makes us part of the same spiritual family by faith in Christ. But uh, so, so now in Christ Jesus, we now have the redeeming power to be unified in our ethnic diversity by the power of the Spirit without eradicating our ethnic diversity.
1: Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything.
2: Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates, our Twitter or Instagram at Pod or Santa Ana URC for the same signup link, or simply email us at santanareformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode.
1: Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt Grace Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we are doing a book club episode, and we have the pleasure of having Dr. Jarvis Williams on. And he's going to be talking about his new book. It's published by Baker Academic. It's called Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, A Biblical Theology of the People of God. And we're going to jump right into that book here in a second and have him help explain it. But just as a few reminders on our show notes, you can actually find a link to Baker if you want to pick up a copy of this book for yourself and then also another couple links on there the society of reformed podcasters where you can find a network of like-minded podcasts out there as well as a few links to find a reformed church near you including the one in orange county coming up uh, next summer so there's some exciting news and information on the on the show notes so Let's jump in and
2: have Peter further introduce Dr. Williams. <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm excited to have Dr. Jarvis Williams. We've we've been looking at his work for a little bit. I've been looking at his work. I've been I've been really helped and blessed by his work before. He's associate professor <clears throat> of New Testament interpretation at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's taught there since 2013. He's got a couple other books out um, with IVP, with TT Clark, a lot of New Testament works but we are very excited to have you on to talk about redemptive kingdom diversity. Thanks for coming.
0: Thank you for having me. It's a privilege.
2: Yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of jump right in, how about uh, give us a little bit personal background to this book, why you wrote it, uh, essentially who it's for, uh, what you're hoping the church and uh, the Christian community could get out of this book.
0: Yeah, good. Very good questions. Well, first of all, I think the, the book is a, a book that is intending to serve as both a, an introductory level textbook for undergraduates, uh, seminary students, folks pursuing theological education, or for students who are at a, maybe a Christian institution who have to take general educational requirements in, say, ethics or Bible or theology. It, its intent is to serve as a supplementary textbook to, to offer a, a Biblical survey of a theme that I see, namely redemptive kingdom diversity, uh, that relates to the people of God, and that also and, and that seeks to apply the, the biblical exegesis and the theology to uh, practical issues related to race and, and racism, ethnicity, and ethnic division, as well as to some other practical issues related to Christian living. But secondly, the book is also, I think, a a book that is very accessible for Christians in the local church. I I don't think you need to have any kind of a formal theological education to understand the basic thesis of the book or to see what I'm trying to do in the book. And and I also think it's a it's a book that would serve churches as some kind of a curriculum for Mm -hmm. teaching through not only a Bible survey, but more specifically thinking how to to think redemptively from Genesis to Revelation mm-hmm. about issues related to uh, redemptive kingdom diversity. In terms of the, the why of the book, and that's a very complex question in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think for me, I, I'm interested very much as a New Testament scholar in uh, Paul's sotriology in its Second Temple Jewish context. And I spend the vast majority of my time thinking about issues related to that. But as a as a Christian New Testament scholar, I'm also interested in the practical payoff hmm. of that for Christian living. And as a pastor, I'm also a pastor of a local church, one of fourteen pastors in my local church. I wanted to write a book that would serve churches uh, to help them think redemptively in this current climate about how to to live and to work out a redemptive vision with respect to ethnic diversity. Um, as you know, there's, there are all sorts of conversations happening related to diversity, mm-hmm. and, and that word has taken on a life of its own, all sorts of different models and approaches to what that should look like. But as a Christian who believes in the authority of the Bible, who also loves the local church, I wanted to provide something that could bring as many ethnically diverse Christians together uh, from many different tongues and tribes and peoples and nations, uh, people of goodwill who, who might not agree on all the nuance, who, who might, who, who might have, and, and all likelihood will have differences in their particular political affiliations or even denominational affiliations. I want to bring as many ethically diverse people together of goodwill to give them a, a, what I see as a redemptive vision for how to lean into the gospels and um, Designed together to see every tongue, tribe, people, and nation transformed by the power of the gospel, by the power of the Spirit, and pursuing love for your neighbor as self in in the various social locations in which Christians find themselves. Mm. So that's a long a long answer to your question, but that's some of the hopes that I had when I was thinking about about this this book. what it would look like but it took me a while i think in my own thinking in my own my own uh uh, development of the book to to arrive at at the position that that this is the kind of Mm. shape the book needs to have for this particular moment in in our in our history
2: yeah we were we were talking before recording too where you read the title and you look at the title picture and i think I assumed, I'm assuming a lot of other people are assuming we're gonna get one kind of book, but you really kind of get another kind of book. So can you describe why you wrote it the way that you wrote it? That that's probably not what you expect it to be.
0: Yeah, I think if you see the title, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, I think the initial reaction would is probably that, well, this is just another book about the multi-ethnic church. And it's a book that's going to shame people for not pursuing multi-ethnic churches. Well, as you know. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, let me say I'm very pro-multi-ethnic church. <laughs> exactly. Multi-ethnic yeah. Church. I have a multi-ethnic family. I'm from yep. a multi-ethnic family. I'm seeking to work out a redemptive kingdom division, uh, a redemptive kingdom vision in a multi-ethnic church. But my book is not about the multi-ethnic church. It's about exactly, yeah. redemptive kingdom diversity, which churches that are monoethnic can lean into. So, so one of the things I think readers of the book will be surprised by is the fact that. Uh, the, the vision that I'm trying to outline from Genesis to Revelation is a vision for every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, regardless of the social location from, which,
3: mm.
0: from which one, in which one finds himself or herself. And, and the book is seeking to, to offer uh, some guidance biblically and theologically about how the scriptures are pointing us toward this beautiful vision of tongues and tribes and peoples and nations in Christ by the power of the, of the Spirit, because of Jesus's wrath-bearing death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead, how God and Christ is working together to to make all things new and right in Christ. And and I want as many people who claim the name of Jesus to be a part of that vision, because it it is, as I argue, a a redemptive vision outlined from Genesis uh, to to Revelation. And so the title that, that I chose was a title that. Uh, wanted to reflect that vision. the 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 kingdom diversity piece. That that phrase I heard for the first time from a good friend of mine named Walter Strickland. Dr. Walter Strickland mm-hmm. is a is a professor of theology at a at a sister institution, and and uh, he first helped me understand the language of kingdom diversity but i wanted to to make it explicit i think kingdom diversity implies redemption mm-hmm. but i wanted to make it explicit in my book that we're talking about redemptive kingdom diversity because the diversity that i'm outlining is grounded in the image of god and is grounded in the cross and the resurrection of, of jesus christ and so i want i want that phrase redemptive kingdom diversity to set people up for a for an argument That invites them into a to a holistic vision of what Mm. God is going to redeem the nations, but but it also sets people up to uh, to assume things about the book (laughs) that aren't true, which is why you need to read the the whole book. book. Yep, the whole book, the whole book, and nothing but the whole book (laughs) to understand (laughs) the thesis that are arguing in the actual book.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. We were also talking to and just, just to d- describe some terms, so you it's a biblical theology of the people of God. And so um, kind of maybe as, as concise as you can, how, how are you tracing the people of God from Genesis to Revelation, obviously in a redemptive kingdom diverse way? So instead of yeah saying, hey, the church should be this way, it's not this way, let me tell you why it should be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of saying, well, let's trace this theme of scripture.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, what I'm trying to do is, to, to argue that uh, redemptive kingdom diversity is grounded in God's saving action in Jesus. And, and I start with the uh, creation and the fall. So the, the traditional categories, I suppose you could you could summarize what I'm doing is, is creation, fall, and redemption. Mm-hmm. So that, those, those categories. But the way in which I sort of present it is this idea of vertical, horizontal, and cosmic redemption. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I start with Genesis because I want to show how in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created the human race. He created human beings. And there is no concept of of racial hierarchy within Mm -hmm. the human race. There is no concept of other races of people within Genesis. There's one human within Genesis chapters one and two. There's one human race. But then after the fall, of course, things dramatically change as we move even through the Old Testament narrative and into our modern day experience in uh, in the U.S., uh, sin as an individual transgression. Of course, I, I argue that sin is is it's original, that we are conceived in sin. I also argue that it's a personal transgression, and I also argue in the book that it's a, it's a power, it's a cosmic power. Mm-hmm. And sin uses uh, individual transgressions in order to create these ideas that are uh, constructive for the purpose of dividing the one human race that God created in His image. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So then after the fall enters into creation, I I seek to tell the story in the book of how God is promising, Genesis 3.15, uh, to crush the seed of the serpent by means of the seed of the woman. And then I trace that throughout the rest of the book by talking about how God's redemption is vertical, that God is going to restore uh, man's relationship with God through Christ, and it's horizontal, God's going to restore humanity's relationship with one another through Christ. And it's also cosmic. God is also going to restore the entire creation. And, and so throughout the book, I'm trying to trace that that theme. But I'm also trying to demonstrate how how ethnic diversity is, is not the result of the fall.
3: Mm. That,
0: it, that it was God's intention from the beginning mm-hmm. to, to have a diverse. People. He tells yeah. Adam and Eve in chapter 1, for example, be fruitful and multiply. And the mm-hmm. assumption is there would be difference. In fact, there, were, there was difference amongst Adam and Eve. Adam yeah. and Eve created in God's image, yes, but Adam's a man and Eve, Eve is, a, is a woman. And so a difference is not the problem, but sin enters creation mm-hmm. and causes all sorts of division uh, that, is, uh, that, that exists because of, of that difference. And so then I want to demonstrate how how God from the very beginning is wanting to restore the the beautiful unity and harmony that existed in the garden. And he does all of that through Jesus, His death and resurrection by the power of the spirit. But before he before before God uh, invades this present evil age by means of the incarnation of Jesus, there are are steps along the way in this in this revelation that unfolds from Genesis to, to Malachi in the Old Testament where God uh, is is identifying the people giving them a law giving them commands and then anticipating for for those people a, a greater salvation that is to come a greater inheritance that is to come through the through the Lord Jesus Christ so so that's what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. uh, in, in the book
2: yeah
1: hmm. yeah I think what I'm getting to is uh, the the lie from Satan is saying that we are biologically different because of different races, you know. So we, where we actually are, uh, we're all from Adam and Eve, so mm-hmm. we are all biologically from the same parents. And mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. quote in there that in the book says the construction of race is a biological fiction. And so both, so you're saying both ethnicity and race are social distinctions um, and they should not be based on any biological basis.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think, I think what I'm trying to do in the conversation about race and ethnicity in the book is to make the point that race and ethnicity are two separate categories. That we often conflate in our conversations about about issues of race, for example. So, race as a social construct is is rooted in a fiction. By which I mean, there is no such thing as uh, different kinds of races within the human race. There's one. Right. There's one race. There's that's exactly. humanity. But yep. what happens in in and I think sin uses um, ideas throughout history to create false ideas that seek to distinguish between uh, groups of people yeah. that are human beings. And, and sin creates this idea of race and you and people create this idea of race and to, to create racial hierarchy. I think that's what you see in our context, for example, in the 1600s. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Issue related to slavery and these sorts of things are connected mm-hmm. to that conversation. Uh, and so race historically in our context is has always been a a a word of dehumanization. Mm-hmm. It's not a word that um, is is seeking to affirm human dignity. It's a word that was created in our context to uh, to dehumanize people, and particularly in our context de- to dehumanize Black people, right? In our context, and and other people mm-hmm. of color. Mm-hmm. But, but race as, it, as a concept in the Bible is the human race. So mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the human race doesn't have, in the biblical narrative, it doesn't have uh, inferior people based on their biology or superior people based on their right. biology. We're all human. Um, ethnicity is, is, is also a social construct. But ethnicity is connected to ideas like uh, culture and customs mm-hmm. and dialect and geography and these sorts of things. So when we, when we see the New Testament talking about different tongues and tribes and peoples and nations, that, that language is more like the concept of ethnicity than it is like the concept of race, if, if, if that makes sense. Now, just to clarify a point here, and I know this is a technical point, but I hope your readers will, are following or your listeners are following what I'm saying.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm, not make, I'm not suggesting that there is no concept of race uh, in antiquity that uh, might seek to emphasize some kind of inferiority or superiority. I mean, there are anthropologists who would argue that, that race as a concept existed prior to the invention of race in the, in the new world in the 17th century in our context. But my point is, is that this concept of race as we have experienced it and as we have inherited it in the new world and in the American experience, that was a new kind of thing if that makes sense.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so then what I'm saying is, is you are absolutely right when you made the point, Nick, that we are all from one blood. Adam and Eve are the parents of us all. And when the biblical authors say that, uh, when mm-hmm. Paul makes that point uh, that we're, we're all from one offspring, he's emphasizing that that there's one human race and and that we all descend from the same father. We're all part of the same human family.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But, but we also are not all the same. We are we are different in terms of our geography, our dialect, our skin color, but that difference is beautiful. And mm. that difference should not be a means of separation, but, uh, but, right. but because of sin it is. But in Christ Jesus, Jesus is bringing the tongues and tribes and peoples mm. and nations into Jerusalem together, Acts chapter two, by the power of the spirit, because Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead. So then my thesis is saying that, that, eth- that ethnicity is, is more what the, what the Bible seems to be talking about, but, but we should not create boundaries of division because of ethnicity or because of racial categories, but in Christ Jesus, he is seeking to reconcile all things to himself, God is, that is, and that God is seeking to restore everything that Adam and Eve lost to the garden. So in my view, uh, race, of course, and racism, very complex, but the fundamental reason why we have racism and 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 racial division and, and ethnic division is because of the fall. Fundamentally, yeah. of course, yeah. the structural issues related to that and 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 race and racism taking on a life of their own. But but this is a theological issue, you see, and that's what I'm trying to, yeah. to deal with in the book. Yeah, like,
2: I, I love it. Yeah, and that's and you I mean you nailed that down in your introduction. Uh, it's I, I have kind of two separate questions so one kind of broad old testament one broad new testament so you trace the theme old testament from genesis to malachi but i'm kind of channeling not my inner critic but my inner um like person who knows or thinks they know the bible really well and they say but dr williams the the people in the old testament are just jews so how Mm -hmm. how can god say that there's a um a uh, diverse community he's he's calling us a diverse community if if the old testament called out people are just jews so how how are we tracing a theme and seeing that yes god does want a diverse community god god created a diverse community it's going to continue being a diverse community kind of with with that in the background
0: yeah it's good it's very good yeah so one of the things i i try to demonstrate in the book is is that there's there's continuity and discontinuity between the two testaments so mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the in the old testament there's this there's this uh, issue of covenant, that, that God gives a promise in Genesis 3.15 that he's going to crush the seed of the serpent by means of the seed of the woman. Is how I'm pra- paraphrasing that verse. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know from the New Testament, the ultimate seed of the woman is Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate seed of Abraham. Uh, Galatians 3.16 tells us that. Uh, but, but as the story in Genesis develops, we eventually move out of the first 11 chapters into Abraham. Mm-hmm. And with Abraham, we get this uh, promise that God is going to give him land, seed, and a universal blessing, and, and all the nation, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, so right there is a mm-hmm. statement that mm-hmm. emphasizes that a multiplicity of, of human beings are going to benefit from Abraham's offspring. And as that story progresses throughout Genesis, we see that, you know, historically, Abraham does get some physical offspring and he does get a piece of land. But as the narrative continues, we see that the people of Abraham are still awaiting for this promise to be realized. And so then you get eventually Jacob, whose name is Israel. And then the people of Israel flowing from Jacob, they're given a law in Exodus chapter 20, given a Torah. And and the Torah is the Ten Commandments, but more is is, is Exodus 20 through Deuteronomy. Uh, You know, there's a whole Mosaic covenant that marks off the people of God who are uniquely connected to Abraham. And of course, circumcision as a mark of those who are who are part of the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 17, that mark is folded within the Mosaic covenant in, in Leviticus chapter 12, verse, verse three. But then and this, as the story continues, we see that that the promise that all the, all the families of the earth will be blessed in Abraham, we get glimpses of that in the Old Testament narrative, such as Rahab the, the harlot, for example, mm, yeah, he's yep. trusting in Israel's God. And we, we get other glimpses as well uh, along the way in the prophetic literature, for example, where Isaiah promises that the nations are going to come streaming into Jerusalem. And there's going to be this Isaiah 65, 17 to 25, this new creation. So then when you get to the New Testament, Jesus is identified as the seed of Abraham. Um, he's also identified as the seed of David, Matthew chapter one. Uh, I didn't mention 2 Samuel chapter seven, verses mm-hmm. but there's also yep. this Davidic promise given. Yeah. And then in Jesus, in Jesus' genealogy, you have a genealogy mixed with Jews and Gentiles, uh, and Jesus' is, is, is genealogy is, is a is a picture of this of this uh, universal yeah, redemption yeah. coming first to Jews, yep. first to Jews, then to Gentiles, and then of course when you get to the Gospel of Matthew at the end, it is overtly stated, take this Gospel to the or, or, or go make disciples of all of all the nations. So my my answer to the question would be the person who says, yeah, you know, but the Old Testament is working under this covenantal. language, and that is primarily focused on on Israel. What I want to say is is yes, that's true, but along the way, Mm. you're getting promises uh, within this uh, Old Testament narrative and and in the prophetic literature, where God is showing that He's doing something for He's going to do something for Israel. starts with Israel, but it it extends to the world, Mm.
3: so
0: Mm. that the boundary markers of Israel extend to the Roman Empire, for example. Mm. To uh, California, to to Kentucky, uh, through the uh, missionary endeavors of the apostolic uh, first century believers, and then mm. extending beyond them to other Christians who preach and and teach the faith once and for all delivered to the saints.
2: Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, because I mean, Abraham's not an Israel; he comes from he comes from Ur. You get yeah. Rahab; you get from Joshua too, and she's explicitly called a Canaanite. So you have all these people, so you see these little seeds throughout the Old Testament where God's saying, man, my, my gospel is not just for the Jews. It's for everybody. Hmm. That's
3: right.
1: Yeah. yeah, Abraham is our father in all the most important ways. So therefore, from different ethnic uh, backgrounds, we can still call ourselves brothers from the same family.
0: That's right. And that's powerful i mean you, you look at galatians mm-hmm. not, not only galatians i wrote a commentary on galatians but as you know in the book i only spend a few pages talking yep. about Galatians yep. because it's it's it, i'm trying to deal with the whole canon but in galatians 3 verse 8 paul talks about the scripture mm. foreseeing beforehand that that all the nations will be blessed in abraham and mm. paul says that verse is realized by means of the justification of the gentiles mm. and mm. Then paul also says in galatians 3 uh, 13, that Jesus died, 313, 314, so that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the spirit uh, by faith. Uh, and So nice. it, it's interesting that, and, and, and furthermore, let me say one more point here before I make a conclusion. Uh, Paul is compelling these, these Galatian Gentile Christians to uh, not to turn away from his gospel to embrace Uh, the other gospel that is based on works of law, because because the gospel that Paul preached is the pathway to the Abrahamic blessing for Jews and Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so in Christ Mm -hmm. Jesus, Galatians 3.28, Jews and Gentiles, uh, male and female, Mm -hmm. share in this spiritual kinship, Uh, slave and free, share in this spiritual kinship. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus. And yet, and, and this is what's beautiful and I think powerful about about God's saving action in Jesus and how he brings about this redemption uh, in a, in a diverse way that our ethnic distinctions are not eradicated in Christ, mm. but there or, or race, but they are transformed in Christ. Mm. So that if you look at me and I look at you, you still see there are certain distinctions that we have amongst one another. Uh, but in Christ Jesus, our mark of identity that is transcendent is our faith in Jesus, the spirit who lives in us and who makes us part of the same spiritual family by faith in Christ. But uh, so, so now in Christ Jesus, we now have the redeeming power to be unified in our ethnic diversity by the power of the spirit without eradicating our ethnic diversity.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think that beautiful diversity in our backgrounds uh will be shown when we are in heaven as well together Hmm. i mean we're not going to all be uniformly look like robots all exactly the same (laughs) once we're glorified we're all gonna still bring our beautiful uh distinct uh diversity to heaven and so you were also saying too I, i think i had this right um so please correct me um that uh shoot did i lose my place oh that the new transformed multi-ethnic people of God in Christ does not replace Israel. This community of transformed Jews and Gentiles in Christ fulfills the Old Testament promises about the people of God.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, what I'm I'm trying to say there is, is that that I think in the way I understand the Old Testament narrative is, is that it it is anticipating and pointing us to The moment in history when God is going to finally deal with the problem of sin Mm. in Messiah, Jesus Christ. And although we get pictures and symbols and shadows uh, in the Old Testament leading up to that moment when Jesus comes, but we nevertheless are, are, are given a story. That continues to point beyond the historical moment into which the Old Testament was written. Now, Just one quick example is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, where, where God promises David that there will be a, a seed that he will have who will, will reign over his throne and whose kingdom will never end. And historically, of course, David had a son, more than one son, but he had Solomon, of course, who was a king. But Solomon's kingdom ended. It divided. Yep. And, and so then you have, even within that Old Testament story, this pointer to the fact that Solomon cannot be the ultimate fulfillment of that promise that God gives to David. But, that in, but, but then in the New Testament, when Jesus is called the, the son of David, we see mm. that Jesus is the ultimate mm. seed of Abraham, or oh, excuse me, the ultimate seed of, of David. Yeah. And so part of what I'm trying to say is, is that you have these, these progressive markers uh, along the way that are are pointing us to this fixed moment in history where God is going to going to act definitively in in Jesus Christ, and and He does that in in Jesus uh, when He enters the, the present evil age, and so the um, the 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 trans the transformation of our ethnic identity in Christ Jesus does not mean that God has. Broken his promises to Israel, for example, uh, it doesn't mean that 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 the people of God in Christ Jesus uh, have replaced Israel. What, what I mean is is that that what God promised to do in Israel and for Israel, He also promised to do it through Jesus Christ for the world. So that those promises that He really gave to ethnic Israel are realized and fulfilled. In Jesus Christ. So uh, Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 and following, for example, those promises given to Jews are realized and fulfilled in Jesus Christ by faith, and they're extended to Gentiles by faith in Jesus. So so Gentiles, going to Romans 11 now, Gentiles are, are grafted in to these promises, along with the natural seed but these promises given to Israel are fulfilled and realized in this transformed people of God filled with Jews and Gentiles in Christ. So the people of God on this side of the cross are Jews who are justified by faith in Christ and Gentiles who are justified by faith in Christ and Jews are justified by faith in Christ as Jews and Gentiles are justified Mm -hmm. by faith in Christ as Gentiles. Of course, we're transformed now. So that means that, that Jews do not, must not require Gentiles to convert to Jewish ethnicity. And Gentiles ought not to tell Jews they can't be Jews anymore. But in Christ Jesus, Jews and Gentiles are transformed to be this new people of God. And we maintain certain aspects of our ethnic identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are other aspects that are transformed and, uh, and, and, and that are taken off if they are contrary to the spirit, mm-hmm. we put on the new man, we take off the old man. Yeah. Well, I like to describe it as uh, a fulfill- a fulfillment theology, not a mm-hmm. pl- replacement theology. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think, I don't think Paul has a place or, or the Bible for that matter has a, has a place for replacement yeah. uh, ideas, but rather fulfillment ideas and Jews and Gentiles are coming together to fulfill what God has always intended and promised in Jesus Christ.
2: Um, Mm. Yeah, so that is, that's that, that's good.
1: That's like s- saying, you know, we as saved Gentiles are His chosen people when it yes. comes down to it, because Israel has now been expanded to the church.
0: Mm. Yes, that's that's a good point. So g- give me another example from from um, from Ephesians. I give you a second mm-hmm. one from Galatians. So in Ephesians, Paul says that we are predestined, and he's talking Mm -hmm. to primarily Gentiles there, but he includes himself as a Jewish Christian. We are predestined, and we are chosen. So he uses that language of predestination and election that sounds a lot like what what, uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy 7, Mm -hmm, where he talks about God choosing and electing Israel because he loved her. Uh, And Paul also talks elsewhere about God God foreknowing, Jews and Gentiles, which I think he means for love them. That's what I think Mm. foreknowledge is, is for loving. This covenant of love God places upon his people. Romans 8, 28 to 30, for example. And and so then this, and also in Ephesians 1, Paul uses the language of inheritance. Uh, He applies that language to Jews and Gentiles in Christ. So he takes this language applied to Israel in the Old Testament, and now he applies it to Jews and Gentiles in Christ. Peter does a similar thing in 1 Peter when he talks about royal priesthood, chosen nation, you know, that sort of language. In, in Galatians, Paul, and this is a debated verse, so I want to just say that <laughs> yeah. before I make this comment. Yeah, But after Paul makes this very tight, condensed argument uh, about why these Gentile Christians should continue to believe in his gospel, he concludes the letter in Galatians chapter 6 by referring to the Israel. Of God in verse sixteen, mm. he says, "As many who live by by the, this rule, the rule of his gospel, as I think, what he's talking about, mm-hmm. uh, peace upon them and mercy even upon the Israel of God." Now, in my view, in my view, the Israel of God in the context of Galatians refers to Jews and Gentiles in Christ—that is, mm. the new people of God. Yep, yep. But, but, however, in Romans, I think yep. all Israel will be saved. I think that actually refers to ethnic Israel there. Mm. But in Galatians, I think the Israel of God, in light of the argument he's just made, refers to uh, a a. This is Paul's way of saying, by Israel, the people of God, namely Jews and Gentiles in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's a debated verse. I realize totally, yeah, it seems to me to be exegetically plausible, <clears throat> given the argument he's made. He's made in the first uh, six chapters. So, yeah. so then back to what Nick was pointing out. Uh, this idea of chose that that Jews and Gentiles in Christ are the chosen people, uh, that's exactly the kind of language you find, I think, in the New Testament uh, documents uh, applied to Jews and Gentiles in Christ. It, it is as though the New Testament authors are are redefining, or, or shall I say it this way, are defining these categories afresh in light of God's revelation in Jesus Christ, which now helps them to make sense, I think, of the revelation that was given prior to the the birth of Jesus in the old Testament material.
2: Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that actually leads, I mean, that's a perfect kind of lob for some of my, like kind of two concluding, but connected questions. You, You made the point that you're a new Testament scholar. You focus a lot on Paul. So how, how do we see this diversity played out in Paul's letters, specifically in the church and in the book of Acts as well, and then what can we as a church today be learning from the example of the apostles and how they practice this diversity? Um, mm. at kind of both against some people say like, oh, they're just they're they're saying this is only for this people or they're uh, patriarchal, like whatever, whatever people might say about them. But how, how do we practice and like what do they practice and how do we practice the same thing?
0: Yeah, it's good. Well, as we we talked about earlier, I I can't remember if it was off camera or on camera, but uh, the title of the book might lead one to wrongly think (laughs) the book is about the multi-ethnic church, uh, but it's not what the book is about. So so what I would say as it relates to how to work out redemptive kingdom diversity um, is if you notice in the book of Acts that mm-hmm. Paul understands his social location. In fact, all of the early Christians understood yeah. their social locations. Yeah, So they, they go into these to these locations and they go in the power of the Spirit, of course, and they they work with what they have. Hmm. So, so when the gospel is preached and Jews believe and when Gentiles believe, then you have a multi-ethnic church. Uh, if you're in, a, if, if there's a community where Jews and Gentiles are associating and are, are are living in community with each other or alongside of each other, if Jews and Gentiles believe the gospel in these early uh, communities, then then there's a multi-ethnic situation. For example, uh, the Church of Antioch. According to Acts 11, I think also uh, Galatians chapter 2, that, that church seems to me to be a multi-ethnic church
3: mm-hmm.
0: And and, you, and we know that historically Antioch was a multi-ethnic uh, city and and there were multi-ethnic uh, opportunities there. Uh, but also there were places where the uh, missionaries, the first Christian uh, missionaries went where there were not uh, uh, multi-ethnic churches that were formed. Mm-hmm. A lot of the churches that were formed were were Gentile congregations, right? But there was diversity. There was multi-ethnicity amongst that Gentile uh, community. So my so so the point that I'm making here is is that we we need to know our social location. Know what we mean when we when we say uh, redemptive kingdom diversity. That there's diver there, there there could be ethnic diversity even amongst groups of people that shared the same skin color. Mm. So, so that so that a Greek and a Roman could in theory have the same skin color, but they have different cultural experiences. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think one of the things I would say is, is is the early Christians understood their social location. I I think they learned on the job, by the way. (laughs) I think they had to figure out how to work these things out as the spirit was working. So I don't think it was nicely and neatly polished as we like to think it is. I think they were doing some things ad hoc in the the first century. I mean, in other words, when Gentiles get saved, they got to figure out, do Gentiles need to keep the law now? Mm-hmm. And you have this Jerusalem council trying to help sort this thing out. Mm-hmm. So know your social location. So then I think that principle applies to us today. We ought not to think that every single church uh, will work out redemptive kingdom diversity in the same way. It, that, that, is, that is wrong to think that. My, my location in Louisville, Kentucky is different from another church in Louisville, Kentucky in a different social location. Uh, my social location in Louisville, Kentucky is different from your social location in in California. And so I would encourage Christians to always, of course, start with the Bible. It's a good place to start, right? Best place to start, start with scripture, uh, seeking how God has outlined for us to redeem some from every tongue, tribe, people and nation and seek to understand how that should be worked out practically in the real world with real people on the ground. Mm-hmm. But then also you gotta do the hard work of understanding your own social location, recognizing the opportunities and in, and recognizing the, 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 the uh, limitations. Uh, but by, by which I mean, you, you ought not to think that you're gonna have a multi-ethnic church the same way that uh, in, in a context that's monoethnic. as you would if you were in a context that was Mm multi-ethnic. So so understand your social location. And I think also thirdly, related to that, uh, we want to preach the gospel, right? Preach Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. teach it, apply it, live it, amen and amen. Mm -hmm. But but we also want to think creatively and wisely and practically with common sense and use common grace uh, to think about how can we work this out on the ground where we live Mm. in our context? And and that requires us to understand the historical backdrop in front of which our context exists, by which I mean, I I can work out what God has done for us in Christ, practically in my social location, if I do the things that I've talked about, but also if I if I have a a basic understanding of my own historical situatedness Mm -hmm. uh, and the the, the context in which my context exists, if that makes sense. I got to know my community. I got to know my city. I got to know my state. I got to know some basic things that have happened to create the problems as well as the blessings that we have in our communities. Mm. And then I think finally, just related to the other three things I've said, Is, is don't try to imitate everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, seek to be uh, faithful where God has placed you uh, and seek to work this out in the power of the Spirit w- with uh, the Word of God as your foundation, the people of God as your, as your community uh, in, a, in a way in which that honors God, regardless of whether it looks the same way in one context as it would mm. in the next context. And I think if folks could practice you know, those practical things, I think one thing it could do is it can, it can alleviate you of a lot of uh, a lot of wasted time and energy. Mm. Uh, but then one final thing I'll say is you know you need to count the cost. Mm. Uh, with if you want to live if you want to live the way i if, if you want to work out redemptive kingdom diversity, the way I'm outlining it in the book, mm-hmm. it's gonna cost you something to cost you friendships. It's going to cost people maybe their budgets and their churches. Hmm. People want to leave. Uh, it's going to cost something. So hmm. count the cost. Think about it. Calculate what could happen if, if, if you do this, hmm. and then do what the Lord wants you to do in a way in which the scriptures are outlining for you to do in ways that honor God, love neighbor, and, and that are realistic in the community in which you find yourself.
1: Love it. Yeah. I think too, what's really neat about what you're saying is no matter where you're living or what church you're in, uh, what diversity you're seeing in your community or your church, we're all preaching the same gospel. We're all reading the same Bible. Mm. We're all worshiping the Mm. same God and we're all saved Mm. by Jesus.
3: Mm.
1: So Mm. it's, it's those hard line things that keep us on track with different uh, communities and diversity uh, among your, your smaller congregation that you, you happen to be at.
2: Yeah. So with, yeah. I, I can't think of anywhere else besides the church. And you line this out in your book, too, where you can have people from so many different cultural backgrounds, political backgrounds, who all go to the same place. And you have at least one thing in common. Mm -hmm. You got the gospel in common. Um, And so I, I mean, I can't think of anywhere else where you can, you can display this better. Uh, And then revelation talks about that. We're all going to be praising God with those who we've never met from a different country, different time zone, different, different time, whatever it may be. Um, So yeah, as we wrap, I want, I mean, anything else in the book that you kind of wanted to highlight say, Hey, this is what I want you to leave you guys with this little teaser to say, hey, if you want more of this, pull this string a little bit more. Read the book, and you can learn more about this diversity.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I, I think what I would say is 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 read the book. The book <laughs> yeah. Is about. Don't don't yeah. just read a footnote. Don't mm-hmm. don't just mm-hmm. read the intro and give up. Uh, don't just jump to the conclusion. Read the book because I'm making an argument, and and I and I think. I, I think if you read the book, folks read the book, they'll see that what I'm trying to do is, is show how beautiful and big the gospel is, mm-hmm. and and that God in Christ has decided to restore everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden, vertically, mm-hmm. horizontally, and cosmically. Amen. And He brings tongues and tribes and peoples and nations together in Christ to live in a transformed way in a broken world to bring some beauty out of that brokenness. Mm. And I want readers to know that God has redeemed them to be a part of that story. And that they can be a part of that story, Mm. um, in, in, in ways that are consistent with their gifts and calling and personality Mm. and their own context, that would be my word is, is just read the book and embrace the invitation to, 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 live out what god has done for us in christ holistically
2: yeah yeah i mean if i can end to to just to call out to the those listening it like we said at the beginning it may not be the book you're expecting but maybe you can take a what is the line it's the book that you need Mm. so yeah i thanks for thanks for coming on thanks for talking about this book and we always like ending these because i know you have other stuff that so people read this and say, man, this is, this is some good stuff. I want to, where can I find Dr. Williams? Where can I find more of his work? Does he have anything else coming out in the future? Cause I want to read more of this gospel saturated stuff.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've published a few things. I, I have, uh, most recently I published a Galatians commentary. It's, it's only about 186 pages, I think. So yep. short, accessible commentary, it's not technical at all. I'm thinking about the, the the person again in the in the in the pew as I wrote that commentary. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a good resource. I also wrote a uh, this is more technical for those who are more academically minded. I wrote a, yeah. a whole monograph in the Library of New Testament Studies series on Galatians three thirteen.
3: Yeah,
0: um, one whole book on one verse. Yeah, <laughs> very yep. technical. Uh, but also I wrote a. Um, I have a book, we're willing, that'll be out 2023 on the Spirit okay. in Galatians, thinking about the Spirit and and issues of agency in Galatians, uh, and and issues related to uh, walking in the Spirit. And uh, yeah, I, there, there are several things I've written. I don't want to outline. Them. <laughs>
2: yeah. Gotcha. So, no. And then do you have reasons,
0: a- I think the Galatians commentary for most of your listeners who are okay. who are wanting to maybe see what I think about. A book of the bible okay uh, in more detail that galatians commentary
2: could be helpful. and i have a rom- a
0: short romans commentary oh, yeah. that'll be soon hopefully very short okay only twenty thousand words <laughs>
2: yeah yeah which is not as long as you think it is
0: no it's not not from romans
2: no no yeah absolutely yeah so we'll, we'll link those in the show notes people can people can pick those up and, and and read some more of your work um but i mean twitter handle anything else people can find you and, and interact with you
0: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Dr. J.J. Williams.
2: Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, Nick, I don't know if you have anything else to say, but I mean, thanks for coming on. It's been a joy. Hopefully we can have you on again in the future to talk about more of your work.
0: I'd love that. Thank you for having me so much.
1: Hey, guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes.
2: Yeah, and after you rate and review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all at once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face, this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully
1: you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing and, uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform
2: Christian
0: <laughs> Theology. Exactly. The Lord,
2: yeah. And you guys can find that <laughs> link on Anchor, our official Anchor website, if you just go on um, our social media links, it'll it'll link you to that website. It's also at the bottom of these, this podcast show notes. If you're on this podcast, this specific episode, scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating. So we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap, pay for shipping, get nicer stuff, all for the focus of spreading the gospel further. Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.